1: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together.
2: Senior players love the certainty of what they're going to be able to encounter during the training week, as well as what they hope to be encountering during the match.
3: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You're now listening to The Coaches Network podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together.
4: My name is Coach Yas,
3: a UEFA A License, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B License Coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League Academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Master's in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Venezuela for a A licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways alongside a vast experience on individual player and team performance analysis and as part of our insight series we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential.
5: Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yes, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Ben, as usual. Ben, just want to listen to us a bit about yourself?
1: Uh, yeah, UEFA, you uh, a Masters in Sports coach and a currently new coach in the Cat 2 Academy. Brilliant. And, and guys, today we've got a very special
5: guest with us, Hugh Jennings. Hugh Jennings is the current Academy Director of Fulham, um, and he's got a host of, um, I guess, high-profile jobs that he's had in the past within the Academy game. How are you, Hugh? Very
2: good. Thank you, guys. Morning.
5: Morning, so Hugh, we're just going to get straight into it. You know, just for listeners, a little bit about what you do now, or more, more so importantly, where your journey started all those years ago.
2: Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm the academy director at Fulham. I've been uh, at the club uh, for over 11 years now, um, and uh, still, in, still, in, still enjoying life uh, in spite of the challenges we face at the moment. My, my journey started um, way, way back when. I, I imagine a number of the uh, listeners were. Uh, were apples in their parents eyes and uh, that was back in the 1980s Um, so mine was a route through um, teaching and education Uh, I had a limited playing career for a a range of reasons not least ability Um, but actually at that uh, time growing up in uh, rural Buckinghamshire there was limited access and opportunity to be able to uh, uh, to to get into an organised uh, program, but um, I, I made a decision pretty early that I would like to get involved in in coaching, and when I uh, started my first teaching job at um, a boys' school in uh, in Cowley, a district of Oxford that um, uh, you may be aware of, where the where the motor where the motor industry is uh, is based, um, I. I started coaching through these, the Schools District uh, programme. Some of the listeners may have played for Schools District uh, teams and um, representative for Schools Football. At that time, uh, professional clubs didn't have any access into schools except for associate school boys. And they were uh, boys who could be signed from 14 years of age uh, just as uh, as members of the club. They couldn't participate in games or... Um, or any kind of competitive activity it was like a pre-apprenticeship signing really Um, so at that time all representative football was in the hands of schools Uh, a number of people uh, historically believed that wasn't the right approach and that school teachers were the wrong people to be organizing and coaching young players at that time but I absolutely loved it and it was a fantastic experience for me and I got all my uh, mistakes, or, well, some of all of my mistakes out of the way and uh, spent um, 12, 12 very enjoyable years coaching and developing young players um, through uh, the, the schools district, through county schools, through regional schools. And then when uh, the Centre of Excellence started, the forerunners of academies, um, I joined the Oxford United Centre of Excellence, the local Centre of Excellence. And started coaching there in the under 15s, under 16s from 1988, so uh, a long time ago now, uh, lads, but um, yeah it was uh, it was a really in- enjoyable period in in my life. Um, you know there was a freedom, there was an opportunity to uh, fashion your uh, your philosophy, fashion your thoughts on the game. As well as hopefully do the best you could to try and develop um, young talented players.
1: Yeah, just on that. Um, like you, you, you said that you come from a background of teaching, and obviously nowadays there's a lot more accepted in the game for uh, teachers to be coming in. But like, and you've ready to um, start touching it that there, there was some sort of like initial sort of uh, barrier there. Um, can you just touch more a bit about like when you started your coaching? Uh, what was like the difference that you were seeing, and sort of similarities that you were seeing to teaching?
2: Well, I, I mean, teachers, uh, and I think at, at that time, incidentally, so teaching and and coaching were were seen as as, as being very different. Coaching was the preserve of um, former professional players who were coaching um, in the professional game from from youth team upwards. Um, there were a few um, county associations I mean Surrey is one of those that 's uh, been very active with uh, with the coaches federation um, but ultimately uh, teachers were getting involved in in coaching football utilizing predominantly their their skills as teachers in a coaching environment now for sure many many PE teachers had gained rudimentary coaching qualifications. Um, and I actually I wasn't a PE teacher, and one of the reasons I was able to get involved in coaching football through representative teams was because I could dedicate the time. I didn't have to take the time to be involved in uh, in 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 working in uh, in in my own school um, with 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 PE and uh, and and individual school sports. So. What I what I did relatively early was to get in contact with the Oxfordshire um, County Coaches Association um, and try to team up with with people there um, to get ideas to attend some of their events and also eventually to join the um, uh, the the the, the the qualification um, network, which at that time, by the way, there 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 was uh, if you like an entry qualification, which was called was the prelim, prelim badge. Prelim. That's right, the prelim badge, and then from there, really, you went to the A license. So there was what's called a, a preparation badge. But for most people working in um, in football outside of the professional game, it was the prelim. The prelim was the uh, was was the badge that you would. Prior to, and um, it was it was a relatively extensive course. I think I think it graduated into the B license um, because I did a conversion from the prelim to the B license at some point. So, you know, sorry, it's a long-winded answer to to, to the question, and I'm, I'm sure I've already turned off ninety-five percent of your listeners here because you know this is this is this is an antiquated world. well but... every single deal. Every single deal. <laughs> no, no, and and you know, I, I think what can't be underestimated is that this period, I wouldn't say it was, it was a, it was a wild West, but, but what it was, you, you had the freedom of expression to be able to fashion your coaching journey if you like. And if you put the, the yards in, because um, you know, sort of imperial, not metric system. Uh, if, you put, <laughs> if you put, if you put, if you put the yards in you, you'd get the return. And, and that was, that was one of the beauties of it. You know, one of one of the, the fantastic things about the current era is the professionalization of coaching, which is unbelievable and the, 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 the structure and um, coherence if you like of the opportunity is, is, is really there for all to see. but I think there's less, there's less freedom to be able to uh, fashion your own journey as, as you see it because one there's so many more coaches um and there are less less opportunities perhaps because of the volume of coaches that that, that are out there um but look you know i i i, I recognize that i made a, a huge amount of mistakes during that period and I reflect back wincing at times with some of the things you know there's far too much command style for a start um and, and yet, I, I wouldn't change it because I do think it served as a magnificent apprenticeship for me for, for, for my later later experiences.
5: Just on that, you know, you talked there about, um, firstly, initially, the, the, the amount of opportunities there are available now and you know, the way, I guess, coaching has become more professionalised in that respect. But I think one of the things I really want the listeners to take away and I best be aware of in this particular platform is that coaching isn't the only pathway people now. So whilst maybe the coaching opportunities might be difficult to come by, I think yes, it's definitely I agree that there's a large number of coaches, but there's also more roles available in, in, in clubs now. You know, or I guess people wanting to make a career in the game. Um, but also, would you not would you not say that there's been more roles developed in the in the, I guess certainly the academy pathways and the youth development pathways than there was maybe back then?
2: Well, I, absolutely. So, I mean, you you, you won't believe this, but um, you know, f- first of all, right at the start of of the Centres of Excellence movement, which is which was a, a big shift. Everyone tends to to reflect back on on the start of the Academy movement, um, which came about in 1998. Pre that, the setting up of Census of Excellence was the first time that professional clubs could work with players under the age of sixteen. Would you believe? You know, and actually, uh, I think I'm right in saying that. Um, it initially was from 14 years of age and then it, and then it became from 12 years of age the foundation phases it's currently known didn't kick in until 1998 no professional clubs were involved with with youngsters of that age and, until that point um but in in in, in response to, to to your question yes i mean you would have at that time you'd have the, you'd have the, the the youth coach because it was known as, and it was an under 18 team, but it was the youth coach, and you would have the youth development officer. And the youth development officer would take responsibility of what now would be about five or six jobs in an academy. So they'd be in charge of recruitment, they'd be in charge of, if you like, the, the academy secretary's role of all the infrastructure and organisation. They'd almost definitely be coaching as well um, because they'd take some of the younger age group uh, teams. Um, and they would be the sort of, head of the player care equivalent and responsibility for safeguarding. All of those things would come into the, uh, the youth development uh, officer's role. Now, if you look at the, at the plethora of staff who were involved, I mean, you know, even as a relatively small uh, Category 1 academy, we've got in excess of 100 members of staff involved in our programme. Um, you know, Most Category 1 academies have got 50 or more full-time members of staff. So you, you, you're dealing with a, a, a huge expansion in what, let's face it, is a relatively short period of time. You know, I think when academies were launched in 98, you'd probably have a requirement for a dozen members of staff, not all of whom were full time. So, you know, reflecting back, you've, you've seen a huge job creation scheme, which is great for the industry, um, but also a real professionalization.
5: And just, just on that, you know, you talked there about the academy coming into nineteen in 1998. Um, You know, your role as an academy director that must be quite challenging for you. So, uh, well, I, I, I think so anyway. That you know, managing all those numbers, especially in the category one you talk about, having over a hundred plus staff. What what's that like for you? And you know, how you know how challenging do you find that at times?
2: Yeah. So one one piece of one piece of further history. So I I, I moved to Southampton um, when it was a requirement for academies to have full time. Full-time uh, education officers, heads of education. So I wouldn't have gone into the professional game on a full-time basis and, and given up my teaching uh, responsibilities had it not been for an element of security. Because you know the the job security in in football is is widely known as being precarious at best. So um, you know going going into profession full-time, I, I needed to know there was a security and. Uh, Graduating then to become the academy director at Southampton in in two thousand and one, it was still even though Southampton had a, a long-held successful reputation for developing players way, way before I got there. If you go back to the Wallaces and the Shearers of this world, um, you know, actually, you 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 still had a very small small team, and the the, uh, the introduction of E Triple P has been that catalyst for. Wholesale a massive expansion, um, and now now there's 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 for all the benefits we receive, there's no prospect of an academy manager being hands on in every area, uh, nor should you be. You know you are you are managing a program um, that you have to empower and rely on your colleagues to to deliver at the at the coalface, so to speak.
5: Definitely, And I think obviously. Part of that, you know, you've got to make sure you've got the right people, and a large part of your role is about delegation, essentially, isn't it? Um, but I just want to take you back a little bit about the journey that you've been on so far. You talked there about doing a prelim badge, um, all those many years ago when uh, me and Ben were little apples, apparently. Um, <laughs> that acorns are apples, acorns, maybe. Yeah. Acorns. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, no, but you, t- you know, take us back to that, that, that aspect of things. How would you say? you view the changes now in terms of the college education system? Because there's been a lot of changes over the years, I'm sure. And, and certainly within the last five, six years in particular, there's been a massive um, shift in terms of what that college education pathway looks like. And I guess even in terms, not just in terms of the content that's coming through, but in terms of also the style of delivery from, I guess, the governing body themselves. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, the,
2: the, the improvements are immeasurable. Let, let me give you a couple of examples. So everybody who studied on the prelim at the time I did it, which would have been late 80s, early 90s in, in, uh, from, from memory. Um, so the FA curriculum was uh, stop, stand still <laughs> in part. OK, so, um, you know, everybody uh, delivering the prelim at that time. Uh, and I had Frank O'Brien on mine, who's um, an erstwhile Chelsea coach, who who many people will be familiar with. He 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 delivered that. Um, and you know, if you didn't follow the the strict approach that was given by the by the the tutor, the lead coach, then you wouldn't pass. So you had to do it the the FA's way. And by the way, that was replicated at A license as well. Yeah. Um, and at that time, incidentally, at the A licence level, so they had two A licence courses a year. The first was for former professional players uh, at the end of the season, and the second was for all comers um, in the school holiday when it was perceived that m- most people were going to be available, two weeks at Liddesdale. The pass rate on the professional, um, uh, professional players or, or former professional players course was somewhere like 85%. The pass rate on the, uh, the other level was 15%, you know, and that but was because, was. well, two reasons. I mean, look, you can never deny the, uh, the knowledge level that former professional players will, will have in, if you like, the application of the game in practice. Um, but that doesn't make you a great coach. You know, if you, if you look at, goodness me, you look at Roy Hodgson, uh, former manager at Fulham, current manager at, uh, at crystal Palace former manager of England played didn't play the game in a senior professional way played in South Africa for a, for a period but ultimately Roy may not have even got onto that uh, that, that professionals course uh, and yet you know anyone who's seen Roy coach will know that his knowledge and his thoughtfulness his application is is excellent um, and and it, it was, uh, look, I, I would argue that it was a, there was a jobs for the boys element to this and it was also about keeping, keeping people out. The FA prided itself at that time on less people having the A licence, not more. It wanted less people to have the A licence. It wanted to keep it as an exclusive club. Um, so if you didn't follow the FA's approach to the way in which they, they operated, you had no chance anyway. So the capacity for you to be, uh, if you like, individual – um was 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 not available but the other thing i think is absolutely critical is there was you were all you all set up to coach adults so even though the vast majority of us were coaching young young players and most people who took the prelim would would stop at that if you like and utilize it to coach young players all of the all of the qualification was about coaching adults so you never you never first of all you you coached each other which okay is fair enough but you never there was. No young players were brought in for your coaching assessments, and by the way, I had goalkeeping as mine <laughs> so, <laughs> the, the w um, and uh, you know I, it was it, it was just uh, absurd really that there was a belief that this was a this was a sort of world leading coaching coach education scheme now fast forward that to now think about what we've got we've got first of all you've got an extensive suite of qualifications and programs uh, for learning which are second to none um, look I've not always been the biggest fan of the FA but the FA was the first federation to introduce youth coaching right the way through all the ages at a time when UEFA was only sanctioning a youth course from 17 plus then you've got all of the specialist coaching um, which now has become a, a, a much bigger element to to the program so allied to that you're you're assessed usually in your own workplace you're you're assessed um in a a multitude of of different ways by coach educators and coach mentors that have had proper and effective training and development and critically all this is centered around you know child-centered learning for for one of a better term you know that that actually, when you're looking at the development of young people, it's not in the context of coaching adults, in the, co- in the context of working with, with youth.
1: It's quite interesting that um, you even refer to it as like child-centred, uh, as opposed to even player-centred, because it is the child that comes before the player in, the, in that aspect there. And I, I feel sometimes that's uh, forgotten um, by coaches. I like, um, you know... You, I've been I've been tuning into quite a lot of these uh, webinars going on now, and and uh, it's, there's quite like a resonating um, message with it in regards to like you know building relationships with the players and whatnot, and um, just to touch back on uh, yes's point, uh, the courses have changed uh, quite a bit. Like I was for, uh, fortunate or unfortunate, wherever you want to take us to do the old format or the UEFA B. And then I've done the new format of the UEFA, so I kind of saw the difference there a bit. Mm. Obviously, all the change, changed a bit um, from back in your day. But like, what um do you uh, feel like? Uh, even though now that we've kind of uh, gone to a place now where like coaches can develop their sort of personality and philosophy uh, within the whatever environment it is their coaching, that um we've lost a bit in the in the bit of the sort of technical and tactical aspects of it.
2: Uh, well, I think something I'd, I'd, I'd reference just what you said earlier there, so the child-centred versus player-centred. Um, listen, as you know, I come at this from the basis of a teacher, from the basis of working with young people. My apprenticeship, if you like, in working with young people, I think has given me the skills to be able to view coaching and learning and, and teaching synonymously, and. I, I would urge all coaches to reflect on that because uh, if you imagine that you're qualifying you're on your coach's journey and you're developing yourself as a coach to be the next Jose Mourinho, I, I think you need to think again. Because working with young people, and almost by his own admission, he wouldn't think he was particularly good at working with young players, by the way, yeah. Jose. <laughs> um, we know him at Fulham because we had his son um, with us oh, with yeah. us for a short period. and. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, I think, really important that coaches embarking on their journey today understand that they are there to help every young player become the best they can be. And it's not it, the, the player comes and the child comes before the needs, if you like, of the coach. And so your comment then on the ta- technical and tactical piece, Actually, I think to a certain extent it's the reverse. My my concern, and especially at this period, is that actually we spend a little bit too much time overanalyzing. and we we arguably complicate the game to the extent that when we're educating young players, we're a little bit too obsessed with what you know, how Liverpool are utilising their fullbacks. Um, and that we're not seeing it from the steps in the journey that are required by individuals and groups to reach their potential. And we're slightly fast-forwarding to the adult end of the game uh, because we've got so much capacity to analyse the trends in the game that we're, we're losing sight a little bit of the steps that are required and what young people need in order to be able to get to the final outcome.
5: Just on that, you, know, you talked there about you know, really adopting almost a adult mindset towards, uh, uh, I guess, the, the coaching that's going on, you know, really talking about the technical aspects there. And you, I think the key thing that you've really said there is that, you know, we really need to focus on the, on the child. So it is much more about the social and the psych stuff. Um, now, just on that, though, what would you say to those coaches who are maybe thirsting for that technical side of things but maybe not really got the platform to do it yet? Because I mean, obviously part of the, I guess, journey or the quote-unquote apprenticeship if you want to refer to it as of becoming a coach and become a, I guess a more seasoned coach in that respect is obviously going through the stages maybe working through different players at different age groups or would you would you advise any coaches that are listening to this maybe you still think about where they want to end up to experience the, those different age groups or if they've got a set age group in mind or a stage of that development pathway that they want to kind of focus on to really just go in and hone in on that
2: Yeah. So, so, so listen, there's, there's a lot in there. Uh, um, What, what the the message I'd want to try and get across is, is first of all, it's an absolute privilege in my view to work with young players. And if I was starting again, I would try to spend a lot more time focusing on working with the youngest player, because actually I think that represents playing and arguably coaching in its purest and best form. Um, Now, listen, you do have to have a particular set of skills to be able to work with the very young player. You know, some of the hardest coaching I've ever done was with five and six year olds. Well, it's not coaching, is it? It's, it's, you know, some would say it's crowd control, but you know, it's, I used to do a session on a Friday night um, in a sports hall in a, in a, in, in, in a district South of Oxford uh, called Berensfield, which was the sort of overspill, accommodation area for the car workers and you, I had, would you believe, 30, uh, 30 sort of five to eight-year-olds, I think they were, who had so much By energy, yourself. correct, who had so much energy to get yeah, rid of,
5: ratios, uh, right?
2: exactly, they wouldn't, be, you know, I, 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 I'm expecting the, uh, I'm expecting the Griff fender van to uh, to appear, probably don't call them Griff Vendor vans anymore, do they, but that's what used to arrest people in. Um, to, to turn up at the house now. Look, you know, it's, it's indefensible that uh, the, the structure that was available there. I wouldn't know where the first... Well, I did know where the first aid kit was because it was the reception. But, you know, and I did have a first aid qualification, by the way. But, look, you know, it, it was indefensible in the way in which that, things like that were set up. And if you, if you look at what is required by the coach and to be able to help the very youngest players to succeed you know it's it, it it's exceptionally it's exceptionally demanding yet rewarding to enable those young players to start off effectively in their journey now fast forward that to the if you describe the technical aspects yeah you know, I'm assuming you're, you're meaning the technical aspects of coaching here then yeah. you know as as a coach progresses through their journey for sure there are so many different elements that you can layer on top of your underpinning core values and principles um and never has there been as much uh, much available whether it's whether it's through uh tech tac, um you know an appreciation of the holistic nature of uh, of developing young young players and and through to adults um, you know, you reference the, 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 the social and psychological side there, you know, all, all of which I think is, is available for coaches to, to, to glean and, and to, uh, to come to grips with. But I will still take you back to some of those core fundamentals of um, ensuring that every session you deliver is focused on the needs of the participants, whether that's at the senior adult level. Um, or at or the, or, or the younger level and, and by the way and just sort of conclude this uh, on this point you know I distinctly remember when, when Roy Hodgson and Ray Lewington left Southampton uh, Southampton no that was my first club left Fulham they'd never coached Southampton left Fulham um, I remember talking to a few of the senior players saying how much they were missing some of the very rudimentary practices in the case this was Breda Hangland in and Aaron Hughes Missing Ray Lewington's uh, sort of um, his his drilling, if you like, of the back four pre-game. Um, and you know how you'll see you'll see the coach um, in in the warm-up probably just just giving a few exercises to the back four, so they're getting their distances right, they're getting the timing of their headers right, they're dropping off right, etc. Yeah. Well, f- consistently throughout the week, Ray Lewington would spend after training. Uh, um, 10, 20, 30 minutes with with the back four players in that world and senior players love the certainty of what they're going to be able to encounter during the training week as well as what they hope to be encountering during the match.
5: Yeah, I mean, Touching on this. it's, it's essentially practising those basics, isn't it? Really just kind of keep yourself ticking over and just polishing. But I think it's quite interesting to hear even from senior players at that level, really saying you know, that we missed the basics that were covered. I think that it, on that note, then, sometimes, I mean, you, you, use, a, you use a reference earlier, uh, sometimes the coaches want to complicate the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in doing that, don't you often lose sight of those basics? And, you know, certainly from, I guess, from your perspective as an academy director, have you, seen, do, you see, do you see a lot of that in the academies? And, you know, obviously during your time at, Southampton and now at Fulham and you know is that something that you see a lot because obviously you are going down this path where coaches have been given a bit more freedom a bit more openness to kind of explore what their philosophies are um I guess what kind of challenges does that present for yourself as an academy director when you're now you've got a, a club philosophy and a way that you want things to be done to an extent at the club and having that being congruent with obviously the coaches that are coming on board yeah so um
2: I, I'll answer that that in a moment. But just just to go back to the basics piece. Look, that's a, absolutely the right description. So, if you think about if you think about a golfer, and sometimes we we're we're guilty, I think, of only concentrating on the team aspect. So you think about a golfer. You know, a golfer is not going to turn up on, you know, the the, the tee at uh, the start of the Open Championship having not practiced all elements of their game. You know, they practice their driving. They practice their their iron play, They practice their chipping. They practice their putting. Okay, uh, along alongside the other elements of the game. Um, okay, so why why would that be any different from um, from from players? So centre backs need to practice. Uh, they need to practice the elements that they're going to encounter uh, of their uh, of their defending. So you know, practicing heading. In my mind, whilst it's still whilst it's still allowed. Um, practising heading is, is critical to the success of centre-backs in a game situation. Now, what does that mean? What, what are the implications of, of that for the coach? I, I applaud and welcome the, the fact that most, most philosophies in clubs, and that includes, incidentally, junior clubs in my experience, that they will give the coach the freedom to be able to adapt the playing philosophy To ensure that they're able to put their own slant on it. But you know, it should only ever be done with the needs of the individual in mind. And I think a mistake that sometimes is made is they look at, ah, this is what my team needs. Uh, So, you know, my team has got lots of pace in it. So, therefore, we will play this way because I've got quick players. So, we might play more direct, uh, play the ball in behind the back four in order for you know, my, my players to exploit the space behind, you know, is that helping your, uh, your, your players to ensure that they're exposed to uh, some of the fundament, some fundamentals of receiving skills in tight areas under pressure, you know, you have got to take a responsibility as a coach to meet the needs of the individual, and if you don't do that, in my mind, you're selling that individual short. Now, I appreciate entirely when you're working at the grassroots level. And by the way, I, I, I've done this not just with a group of 30, but I've coached, I've coached um, grassroots teams in junior leagues. I've coached under 18 teams in, in youth leagues. Um, you know, So I, I, I feel, although it's some time ago, I, I know that pyramid, if you like, that element to the pyramid. And where, and there is some excellent coaching out there, by the way, and where some of that coaching I think really meets success. Is when the coach understands he, his or her responsibility to ensure that the individuals get get exposure to the elements they're going to require as they go to that next level.
5: Hugh, you touched on there about um, you know having a bit of experience in, I guess, knowing the landscape of coaches from the grassroots community. Now, you haven't always worked in the elite elite game uh, or the academy program, so you know in between your time. At Southampton and now moving into Fulham, where you are currently. You actually had a bit of time at the Premier League, also at the Night Academy, didn't you?
2: Mm. Yeah, I did. And um, you know uh, the context for that is that um, Southampton were struggling post relegation. It was a public limited company. So, um, unlike which is very rare now, now, I can't even think there may only be a couple of clubs that are listed. Um, uh, currently and um you know it, it was self evident that, that the club was going to go through a difficult period. A job came available at uh, at, at, at the premier League dave Richardson was uh, retiring the uh, the former head of youth um, and I, I had discussions uh with um, with with people at the premier League and, and decided to uh um, to 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 see if I could secure the role and uh, it was a great experience because I didn't find out a huge amount about, I I don't think I learned a lot about the game, but I learned a lot about the infrastructure that surrounds the game and spent a lot of time um, in the sort of political sphere. And as a former teacher of politics, that's that, (laughs) that, if you like, had some resonance uh, for me and yeah, it was, it was a very, very interesting period. Arguably came perhaps at the wrong stage of my career. I, I still had a lot of thirst for the club environment and a lot of thirst for wanting to continue to work with young players and the, and, and the coaches of young players. But I learned a huge amount in the three
1: seasons I was at the league. Just in regards to that, like, what, uh, what was exactly like involved in the day-to-day um, of that role? Because it seems like quite an interesting role. Were you like, um, like liaising quite a lot with um, different academies at that point?
2: Yeah, I, I think, um, and and some of you know, one of my successes in the role I think might have viewed it differently. But but the way the way I viewed it is actually the Premier League was the was is the only organization that can register the players in the Premier League. That's the first thing, uh, and it's the only it's the only organization that can. Um, that that actually can can run run the competition, so with that in mind you, you, you shouldn 't ever lose sight of that it 's really really important function for the league now since that time this was pre Triple p days you know, so we we saw ourselves as being the support service for clubs uh, one of the support services for clubs we didn 't see ourselves as the police force for clubs we didn 't see ourselves as being out on a motorway um, you know, tr- tracking down people uh, breaking the speed limit, having even with your
5: experience that, as a crowd controller. <laughs>
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, but having having said that, uh, you know, with if 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 someone sped past our fixed camera uh, and was doing ninety five, we'd do something about it. So there was an element of uh, enforcement of, of, of regulations. But fundamentally, I saw myself and my team as being uh, available for, uh, to, to help clubs to support them. And a lot of my time was spent from a club context in actually trying to encourage execs at clubs to back youth development, trying to encourage the infrastructure of clubs to understand that uh, the academy movement was a really vital part mm. of their, their program. And that's where EPPP, when it came along, was was such a catalyst for change. You know, no one can underestimate that. And, uh, you know, I, I think Jed Roddy's um, contribution in that area, and I've said this to him on a few occasions, winning that war, if you like, as Howard Wilkinson had done previously with the introduction of the academy movement, was absolutely pivotal. You know, that the time that I was at the Premier League, there were distractions for the league, so... It had a real challenge on with the European Commission in relation to uh, the perception that the Premier League was a monopoly, and there was a big fight on with that. So I spent a lot of time promoting the value of youth with European politicians and the European um, uh, uh, the European Commission. Um, and and the other thing was the 39th game. I don't know whether you guys will recall that. So. It sort of turned out to be, and Richard Scudamore are probably the, the the most talented executive I've worked with in football. Always one step ahead, brain the size of a planet, uh, a fantastic, um, fantastic executive. You know, he he probably made two or three fun, uh, mistakes in his in his time at the Premier League, and this was one of them. That. Um, he agreed to, it was an Australian concept, actually, the, the setting up of the 39th game in the Premier League. So every club would play um, a, a, an additional game against uh, one, one other opponent and that game would be staged um, uh, across the globe. So you'd, you'd kick off at sort of 7am UK time in, uh, in Sydney and finish sort of 10pm UK time in, in California. Uh, the concept was fantastic. It wasn't, that wasn't the problem. The problem was was the integrity of the competition. Mm. And uh, it, it breached that and it fell down. So, you know, there were real distractions at that time at the league for the execs, and youth development was not a top priority.
1: And uh, just in regards to that, uh, you've now uh, moved on to your project with Mike or Nike, whatever you want to pronounce it as. Um, <laughs> And that was quite like an interesting project when it came out. Um, It kind of exploded into the scene uh, in the sense that it kind of gave um, players that uh, may have dropped out of uh, the academy system like a second chance of like having like a series of uh, games and like uh, professional uh, coaching, isn't it? Um, How was that like when you first stepped into it? Because you've never really seen something like that before this time.
2: Oh, it was extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. And, and a shout out to Adam Gardner, who was the young Nike uh, employee who was given the responsibility to set up the programme. He's just been appointed as, I think, commercial director at Arsenal. Um, and, uh, you know, very bright guy, Adam, and, and very skilled, considering he was he was very youthful at that period. But yeah it was it was absolutely extraordinary so um I, I, as i'm sure you're aware Nike is the ball sponsor for uh, for the Premier League and as part of that uh, deal it had um uh it had a pot of money that was set aside in in CSR um uh a sort of social responsibility program and both the league and Nike didn't feel that where the money was engaged at that time was working and so we sat down as a group of people to talk about the concept of the Nike Academy Mm. and I've never seen anything like it. So when you realize and you see the power of a brand get together, whoa, it's it's something extraordinary. So in a very short space of time we put together what was initially a virtual academy in the London area that trained when we trained predominantly at arsenal london colney and played games um, around the sort of london region for the first 2 years that was i think before then the academy settled at uh, at Loughborough, and then on to uh, st george's park but um, what what nike really delivered was not only the second chance opportunity for domestic players but it also promoted a a program called uh, the chance Hmm. For uh, youngsters uh, globally, and we we held this um, showcase at um, Barnet's The Hive, which was was new at that time, and uh, stayed over at uh, Sopwith House in St Albans. Uh, you know, I flew Figo into Wembley to do the announcement of who was going to make the game at MK Dons the last 32, and so I'm sharing a platform with FIBA. I with Making this announcement. <laughs> yeah, that's right, then. then when we announced the the graduates from the chance to get a year's residential with Nike at the Nike Academy to be launched in Loughborough, uh, Gianni Van Bronckhurst uh, was there. Uh, Jack Wilshire was there. Um, um, oh, gosh, the uh, Nigerian midfield player for Chelsea, whose name is... Oh, John just uh, no, um, oh. uh, no. The uh, the more diminutive, uh, the, the Michael Essien. Yeah, he's oh, Niger, uh, Nigerian origin. Yes, Michael Essien. I'm in. <laughs> i mean, apologies. My apologies. So yeah, Michael Essien, Yeah. Um, so you you know he he um, it was just 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 absurd really. And here's little old me he's stuck in the middle of this. There was a press conference halfway through the chance program. When they got and I walked into this marquee, and all the flashlights going off, and the literally hundreds of microphones on this on this desk or in front of me, I've never seen anything like it before. You know, I mean, I sort of did a press conference at the final of the Youth Cup, and that was like you know a man and a dog really. <laughs> uh, and and you know, it, it, you just realise the power of the brand and the thing that Nike um, that Nike brought to the party was this concept of thoughts football obsessed teenagers. And it was right at the start of, of the sort of launch of social media. So Facebook was still pretty, you know, uh, pretty unknown, certainly unknown to a crusty like me. And the way Nike pushed out the, uh, the media for this was, was extraordinary. They had a camera crew that followed you 24 seven. And, and it was, it, it was, it was an, it was just a, just an extraordinary event reflecting back on it, you know, leading a team out to old Trafford, um, For a a showcase game, I think that was in the in the second year, staying four days in uh, in a hotel in Manchester when um, the X Factor guys were were there as well. You know, Cheryl Cole and Simon Cowell coming into the lounge as you as you're there. I mean, look, anyone who knows me, I think hopefully appreciates. I'm I'm not, you (laughs) know, a a wannabe of that type, but this was just an amazing experience, and I was stopped one time by a group of lads uh i can't remember where i was now but a group of lads stopped me said oh are you are you hugh jennings from from the nike academy and i said yeah i said whoa you know uh uh i, I can't remember what what uh, what 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 <laughs> what youth phrase they gave to me at that point but it was sort of you know the equivalent of cool and um i'm thinking you know i've had a fantastic career with the experiences of the Bales and the Walcots and the Lolanas and, and that sort of group of players, the Sessignons, that sort of stuff. And, and
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call
1: Click Granger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done.
2: I'm thinking, unknown as this sort of, you know, this this um, limit, limited, talented uh, individual who helped who helped to lead the Nike Academy for for a few years. Mm-hmm.
5: I just want to touch back on that now. You, you know, you, talk, you, you mentioned some names, there and I was, you know, I was hoping to get onto that. of Southampton. You, know, you had the likes of Gareth Bale, field Walcott, blah, blah, What was that like coaching players like that? And you know, and that, did you see from an early stage that these guys were going to go on to be um, maybe as you know, develop careers in the game? And you know, I'm, I'm not sure if you can, but did you ever imagine that one of them was going to break, break the world record fee at one point?
2: Well, look, just just very briefly back back to the Nike Academy for one minute, because what I should have said is that actually I think the Nike Academy really achieved its objective by helping to develop second chance opportunities for lots of players, not not just those who play in the professional game, but quite a few have gone on to have really good careers in in football and something else, you know, because many were at a low ebb when they when they joined us, and uh, it was it was great to 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 help to re- rebuild some of those guys. But but on on on, on to what 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 you said. You know I, I I think it's important to emphasize that, that from my time at Southampton so is that my hands on coaching opportunities were much more limited. you know my role has been to to manage the program um, to support the development of these young players and in a very limited way, facilitating that has been if you like my my objective um, but you know what you learn from those experiences, and if I take if I take Adam, I, I I distinctly remember an occasion when George Burley elected to award an alternative player. I won't embarrass him by naming him with an extension of his contract, and not Adam and another player at the time. Adam's contemporary, Lloyd James. And it was right on, at the time I was I was leaving at the end of the season, and I was trying to, if you like, tidy things up and, and working on the end of season protocols. So, and Adam was bitterly disappointed. Um, he let me know, and I, and listen, I respect that of Adam because um, you know he's uh, he's he's always been willing to 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 tell you uh, as he sees it, and his 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 family the same. And I, I felt uh, I, I felt very frustrated that at the time the club didn't recognise Adam's longer term potential. Now, credit to him and credit to Southampton. That he stayed with the club, they dropped down to League One. He got his opportunity, and the rest, as you as they say, is history, you know. And then you sort of reflect on the flip flip side of that. Look, when Theo Walcott walked in the door at at Southampton, it was pretty clear what we had. You know, we had a we had a burgeoning talent. Apart from anything else, we had the pace of a player who was like you know a um, an Olympic sprinter Mm -hmm. to be able to just um, you know show. He we he played we played him all the time one year up and often two years up, and he was still burning past people like there was you know like for fun and uh, and and you know the contrast was, was was evident and and what this brings home as you reflect back to, as they get both players towards the end of their career is who's who's had the better career well you know uh, uh, arguable you know it's it's it, you you can argue for either. And then you've got, in the middle, if you like, you've got Gareth Bale, who everybody knew had technical quality, but just had so many challenges physically,
1: <laughs> it was
2: very, very difficult for him to compete. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've said this on a, on a couple of other um, you know, talks, talks that I've done, is that, is that at that time, we were far less aware of the growth and maturation cycle. I, I'm convinced that Gareth had a past fracture. Um, and that's it, I'm not not medically trained, and I don't know for certain, but he exhibited all of those symptoms that we now associate with a pars fracture. And, you know, it, it was almost impossible for him to achieve for, for a couple of years. The credit, if you like, is to those people who hung in there. That's his family first and foremost, Gareth, of course, and the staff at the club who were very divided, those who saw something in Gareth, uh, George Prost, um, you know our I coach at the time of the uh, of the Fulham under 18 team and saw that Gareth had the potential and and wanted us to to sign him and you know had we not done that um, I wouldn't have been on the Nike stage would I you know uh, it w- wouldn't, wouldn't have been a great move but when i, I mean I was I was doing a I was in Slovenia um, visiting a couple of clubs in in, in Slovenia watching. Uh, Gareth come on for Tottenham Because he came as a sub Didn't he Against Inter Milan In the Champions League <laughs> game mm-hmm. In the San Siro And watching this player Just burn off One of the world's Best fullbacks At the time Mike On, yeah? Mike yeah He didn't do it once He did it several times yeah. And thinking My God Where's that come from? You know I mean look Everyone knew by then Gareth was, was Had matured Shall we say Yeah But to see that You saw Whoa We're dealing now With a totally different Level player
5: you know, what are your thoughts on how he, how his career has progressed now and you know, obviously he's he's, he's gone one step, you know, you, you argue he's gone even to a higher level than what that did that situation you described in he's burnt one of the best fullbacks in the world at the time. He's yeah. now gone to you know win three Champions Leagues Real Madrid and obviously breaking the world transfer record obviously we're moving over there. Uh, yeah. Could you ever could you could you ever see that happening?
2: No, and I defy anyone at Southampton who could have who could have considered that. Um because even with the most talented youth players in the country at the moment, you, you can't be sure. No one can be sure what the outcome for Jaden yeah. Sancho is going to be. You know, um, I saw a young Raheem Sterling at, at 14, desperately tried to sign him, didn't manage to. Uh, I saw a young Jordan Ibe at the, at the same, pretty much the same age, also tried to sign him. Now, look, you know, others will, will, will see where their respective careers end up. But at, at the moment, it's, it's clear to see that Raheem is doing extremely well. You know, and Jordan is is finding it harder. So, given given that's the case, at the same age, uh, you you they were different, but they were equally very highly highly regarded. Now, you know, back to Gareth for for a minute. That's one of the reasons why. And, and listen, if we all knew what the outcome was going to be, we might as well go home, might not we? So, you know, that's that's of course the the real joy is that is that it's that. Uh, that assessment of potential and the the consideration that you might be able to invest in that potential to see where 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 it takes the player. Um, and I collaborated on an article with the Athletic um, recently about Gareth. And you know, as you are reflecting back on that and considering that era, you you realise that we were fortunate in lots of respects, but also we did do a lot of things right to foster the talent and to enable that talent to flourish. And I am very proud of of that achievement of the of the team at Southampton at the time.
5: And just on that, then you know, talked about doing a lot, lot of things. What would you say are some of the key ingredients to that success that, that took place then?
2: Well, I, I think we always considered the, the needs of the individual. At that time, it's probably less on the, the, you know, the, the, the technical aspect of that. Although, you know, I do think we, 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 we helped the players to um, understand what the fundamental requirements are to be able to play the game at the highest level. Um, partly that was through the philosophy and style of play and, and, and partly through the coaching programme. Um, but I, it's much more as the way in which we looked after them as people. You know, we, we had a, a, a an Academy Lodge, which is, has been widely reported at the time, run by a fantastic house parent in Julia Rupson. Um, and it, it was something that, it, it was probably a time-limited era, but it worked at that time because it enabled those players socially to develop a level of comradeship, to develop a level of appreciation of self, to be able to, Move away from home and operate in a in a very different environment, and yet for it still to be home, um, all of those things I think were great preparation for life. Had a few scary moments, the occasional call out late on a Friday night, etc. Um, and the, the 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 local the, the local talent was um, taking an interest in the young players in the building. Right, but that you what, know, you
5: got your high this jacket back when I started controlling the crowd.
2: <laughs> yeah? uh, it was more undercover than that, I think. Oh. Um, there was a there was an occasion when a, a young lady knocked on the door and uh, with baby in arms, suggesting that one of the uh, one one of the inmates might be responsible.
5: Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> so
2: yeah, it was it was quite it was quite it, it was it was entertaining. The uh, the dining room window was put in by a brick on one occasion as well. Some of the stories that don't well didn't make the athletic article. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, but but you know it, it's. It is with the sort of that, that sense of, I think we help those players to help themselves. And that wasn't just from the on-pitch perspective. Uh, I, I It's also good. So, Julia, who I, I, I very occasionally uh, keep in contact with, that, um, I know that the vast majority of those boys at that time regularly keep in contact with her. And that tells you everything, you mm-hmm. know, because it tells you that they recognise the contribution that she made and the environment made in helping them to succeed, And, and that's not just, you know, the Walcotts and the Bales. That's the, the Dexter Blackstocks, the Leon Bests and the David McGoldricks of this world who, um, you know, uh, were, were were entertaining, shall we say, in terms of their behaviour traits. Um, <laughs> you know, but she, she, she had a capacity to reach out to all of them.
5: You know, just on that, you talked there about, was it Judy, was it? Yeah. Now again, you know, we talked earlier a little bit about the number of staff members you have obviously in a in a programme like this and obviously you know people like her will be you know often forgotten in terms of how important they are and integral they are to that to that development pathway. What would you say now, obviously having your you know you've been at you've been at Fulham for twelve years. Is that coming up is that correct?
2: Yep, twelve years in December,
5: yeah. Yeah, twelve years coming up in December. Um you spent good five six years at Southampton as academy director obviously you had your time at um like academy what those what, what roles really taught you about leading other people
2: yeah and listen I'm on the pilot group for the academy um managers leadership program at the moment and is that was the, the premier league th- is it? yeah it is yeah and it's been it's, it's rolled out to every every club and I I, I think it's um it's uh, well, I hope I speak on behalf of the academy managers. It, it's the first time there's been a, a really extensive programme um, to, to follow. We, we, we've lost Yasser as he has he decided. Hey, uh, no I'm, no I'm, I'm boring hey, him, I'm sure. Um, babies, that's it.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Right. Yes, of course.
2: Ah, so, so uh, no, no, no worries. No worries.
1: Um
2: you, you know, it's the first time in my career that I've really adopted any sort of un- appreciation of reflective practice. Um, mm. Funny enough, later today I've got a, a, a video call with one of my two mentors on the program. I never had mentors before. I've had, you know, not not as in sort of you know named official. mentors, yeah, official <laughs> mentors. Thank you. Uh, and it is it is the first time that I've undertaken any any reflective practice. And and from a leadership perspective, you know. I think and this applies a little bit to players it it's not what you it's not what you do do that actually is critical it's sometimes what you don't do you know and um one of the things I don't do is tell people how to do their jobs one of the things i I don't do is I don't lay down you know the the ten points of uh this is this is how you do it this is how you lead you know. I think you've got to you've got to be able to be flexible to meet the needs of your team of staff the individual staff your program and by the way your the the stakeholders so stakeholders in the club whether that's the the owner and 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 uh, the execs whether it's parents and families whether it's extended members of the organization whether it's the community of practice outside um, and and i think that you you know it's 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 critically important that you look at yourself first you look at the way in which you you work and operate the standards you set the values you you promote the principles that you you believe in and from that emanates, I hope a, uh, a an approach which is is reflected in the organisation. And and by the way, in whilst you know some people will tell you there's a blueprint and there's thousands of books out there on how to be a good leader. You know, in in, in the end, actually, it's got to be about your capacity to adapt, be flexible, to ensure that you are uh, you you are the best you can be. To help everyone else to succeed,
1: and um, just on that, like uh, that reflection point, I think is uh, quite key because there's some that was something that I learned, um, particularly when I was on my masters as well, about like the sort of different levels of uh, reflecting, like reflecting during, I don't let's say it's a session, for example, like reflecting during the session, reflecting after as well, and actually having that sort of critical self-reflection uh, element of it and uh, it's quite interesting that you say that because like, that's something that I feel that is not done enough in football coaching because when you look at like, other sports you do see it um, that like um, the staff the staff will actually meet after to discuss uh, the session that just happened mm. and uh, talk about like how we'll feed into the next session what they what want to change it may be particularly about players but then it's like a lot of uh, from my experience, anyway, of like you know, being in the academy, the meetings are always like, oh, the, um, this player has this aspect to improve on, but what do we have to improve on as well? That sort of thing.
2: Yeah, and if I can add to that, Ben, listen, you're, you're spot on, you know. And um, I, I recall talking to Dick Bate, um, brilliant coach, educator, who, who sadly was taken from us uh, relatively recently, you know, that Dick. Um, It was always very clear that he felt that we had some of the best on pitch practitioners in the world and he travelled extensively, worked extensively all over the world. And and yet he felt that where we let ourselves down was first in preparation and second in evaluation. Mm. And I do think we've improved in that area, but you're absolutely right. Evaluation is 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 so key to effective improvement and moving forward. And and I, I, I regret that I you know, I haven't seen that as being something that's mainstream in, in my, in, in my, my way of working, you know, um, I think we've always been so outcome driven, you know, uh, that are not, not focused on, on the process. And the process includes preparation, delivery, and evaluation. Mm-hmm. And that's not just with coaching, that's with, with all, all aspects of our roles. I do think it's coming. And I think you can be the generation of people who can who can lead this? Because it, it really is
1: you know it's it's uh, it, it's essential. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Um, just under you touched on debate there. Like I can imagine uh, through your sort of like valuable experiences and like school, uh, Richard's et the more etc. Like mm. um, I can imagine through your valuable experiences that you've had, um, you know, a lot of influences in the form of like. You already started to mention that they're mentors, but like unofficial sort of guys that you would look for in a mentorship mm. role to uh, in your past or in, in your present now that mm. you've to looked up on. Who were they and what was the biggest lesson that you learned from them?
2: Yeah, so one of the biggest influences on my career in academies is a guy called Peter Cates, who was the former chief education officer of of Shropshire and you might imagine, uh, why I might select him. I'll come on to that in a moment. He actually had a quadruple heart bypass, uh, the same as Graham soonest incident. And he was the oldest living, um, person in, 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 this country with that, uh, with that condition. Um, sadly passed away a couple of years ago, but, but got into his mid seventies, which, which was uh, extraordinary considering he had the operation 20 years previously. Um, and the reason I select him is actually he was the first education officer for the Premier League and uh, he he left his his role as Chief Education of Shropshire to have a quieter time and joined the Premier League, which is a new organisation, in 92 and then with the launch of Academies in, in 98. Um, and uh, he was on the interview panel um, for my role at Southampton and, and we remained firm friends ever since. And uh, uh, Peter taught me so much about... Education. He taught me so much about uh, young people and those people who work with young people, and he also taught me how to write properly, which is ridiculous. Having been twelve years as a teacher, actually, I I I I wasn't good at writing. In 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 his case, actually, what he did is he taught me how to write, um, you know, write proper, if you like, uh, documents for which I had to do a lot of at at the Premier League, and you, you know. Irrespective of all of that, I, I think what he he helped to fashion my appreciation and understanding of what of what good le- leadership looked like. So that so he he would be somebody who, uh, indirectly, um, in, in the football world, re- I think he really helped me to transition, if you like, from education into football as well. Mm. You know, he—he he, he, one of his first phrases to me was just remember this is one of the last remaining cottage industries. You know, and and that 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 stayed with me for a long period. You know, race racing is another example. Horse racing is another example of a last remaining cottage industry. Mm. It's changed hugely and rightly so, um, but there are still elements of that, which is why the drug of choice in football is paranoia, by the way, <laughs> um, or the condition of choice is not a drug paranoia, is it? But it's the condition of choice. You know, and and. I, I I think that um, if if I combine that from from a football perspective, to be honest, I, I wouldn't say I've got a single um, a single individual. I I've I've worked for over thirty years with Malcolm Elias, who's head of recruitment at at, at Fulham. Malcolm engaged me um, when he was working full time at Oxford as a youth development officer. I mentioned there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the person who started my coaching journey in professional football in '88 uh, uh, at Oxford, um, and we've sort of been together ever since. We haven't always worked together. He's been at Liverpool and Swansea. Um, I brought him to Southampton. I brought him to Fulham, and you know we've we haven't fallen out yet. Um, <laughs> at least not properly. Um, <laughs> uh, Steve, Steve Wigley is another individual I've worked extensively with, um, and I, I think the three of us share, a, we're very different, but we also share a lot of common views about, um, about the way in which we think young, young players can be, can be developed. Uh, I, think, I think outside of that, you know, there are, I've taken so much from so many individuals, but there wouldn't be one person I'd, I'd identify. As, as, as being, you know, that's my football guru, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been privileged to meet Alex Ferguson, Mourinho I've mentioned, um, Arsene Wenger, who did some stuff at uh, the Nike Academy, Gary um, Southgate, who I think is a, an outstanding person um, and, you know, I, I think he's a real breath of fresh air for, for the England national team at so many levels. Uh, I think his legacy of reformation of the way in which the england team operates i, th- I think would we'll be there for a very long time i think he's really given a, a, a massive change to the way in which the the the, the england team operates and um, coming from someone who's um you know is a welshman that's um uh, <laughs> that's an accolade so you know that those those would be some of the guys um george prost uh, the youth coach at southampton was was extraordinary he's the one i I learned it's not what you do do, it's what you don't do that, that that also really matters. He was limited words often, but so critical what he did say. And, you know, from, I'm sure, you know, you will have all listened to horrendous half-time team talks that you go, why are you saying that? You know, what are you doing? And because it's about the coach, not about the player.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, so, sorry, I've rattled off a huge amount of random
1: Oh, it, Random
2: ramblings there.
1: The more, the more about
5: <laughs> just you know just just on that uh you you know you've had quite a bit of a, a journey now you know, you've gone back to again when me and Ben were acorns apparently um it's you know near enough thirty years now you've been involved in I guess the coaching world what is yeah. it about that. Whole journey and what is it? What is it that helps keep you inspired and motivated to keep going and I guess try and achieve and strive to be the best, best you can be within that.
2: Yeah, thirty-two. I think it is. At least that's why I told the. That, that's what I told the Premier League. It's thirty-two years of. Um, uh, well, I, thirty-two years in the professional game. I've actually been involved in coaching at youth level since nineteen eighty-five. I think, eighty-five. Um, so yeah, re, re, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, it, it's uh i i i think you should never escape that working working with your hobby is a privilege you know I, my 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 interest in in football goes way back to my childhood and whilst i was never afforded the opportunity to play at a high level um sure i wouldn't have been good enough you know if you're not able to do that then you you start with a an enthusiasm and an and a, an enjoyment in in the game um, and, and, and strip everything away, that's the fundamentals. In, in, interestingly, my, my, my enjoyment now, uh, I know other, others who, who are older than me find this, my enjoyment now is actually more towards the, 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 the youth end of the game. I, I really enjoy going to watch our foundation phase um, games because I, I think there's a purity to, to it and seeing the skill levels of some of those guys you know, it's it's outstanding and, and the freedom with which they play and express themselves, I, I, I think is 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 terrific. And it's one of the really you know, fantastic uh, things that I, I think we've developed over the years. I noticed that Bayern Munich have got rid of their under-9s and under-10s teams. And look, mm. I, I get that. I just hope they continue to coach those those age ranges. I mean, I, I visited Bayern Munich and been to Germany a few times. And actually, I do think they've fallen behind... Uh, in youth development, and, and they, some some people in Germany recognise they've fallen behind youth development because it's it's all a bit regimented, you know. Mm. And I don't think they've really adopted the the underpinning principles of the freedom of expression for young players um, in in those age brackets. Um, so that helps to keep me fresh and young because those guys are a long way away from uh, from my age bracket and a, and a long long way away from playing the game professionally, but the thrill and enjoyment of, of the game. But look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be being honest and truthful on, on this podcast if I didn't say to you there, there, there are also some, some real challenges and restrictions. And I don't know where you, whether you want to get into some of this, but, you know, dealing with intermediaries, dealing at times with, with some members of the parent community who, who are unrealistic in their expectations,
5: so yeah, Hugh, you just touched there about some of the challenges that you might face in, you know, working in the academy game, particularly obviously being with intermediaries and obviously some of the parents that might you might come across, you know. And I've personally never, you know, just on the note of parents, never felt I've come across a parent that's got necessarily bad intentions, but maybe you're just, uh, I guess, mis or ill-informed, or maybe not too sure about how to approach certain things because maybe they don't know the ins and outs of what to expect. But you mind just talking about talking to us on some of the challenges that you may have faced with those things?
2: Yeah. So, so listen. You know, uh, whilst I've maintained that working um, w- with your hobby is a privilege, uh, and I, I retain that, there are times when, in in my role, um, it it becomes exceptionally challenging when you're dealing with what some people might call the business end of it. So um, contracts um, uh, and the the management of players in respect of of family members and intermediaries. I mean, if I start with intermediaries, first of all, listen, I I, I believe in the principle that you are entitled to independent advice and uh, I've, I've no issue with that. And I think anyone in football who who anticipates that um, players should only believe what the club says because the club tells them type thing, you know, need, need to think again. It, uh, we, we wouldn't buy a house without conveyancing, you know, and... Um, uh That is a form of independent advice that 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 gives you the uh, the guidance that's that's required. my My challenge is over the quality of the advice and the motivation for that advice and Unfortunately, and football clubs have themselves to blame as well as also the uh, the greed, if you like that's associated with some elements of the intermediary community. You know, what, what, you've, what, what we all need to reflect on is, is what's important here. And what's important is that the young person is given every opportunity to succeed and develop their potential, to not be exploited, to not be used as a, um, a pawn in, in a game between um, an agent and, and, or a, an agency and, and, and a club or a family to extract the maximum amount of, of of money you know and and it's a very complicated area this and it's it's you know one that's difficult to talk about in a in a in 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 a podcast of this nature but all, all i would say to you is that we, we we run the real the real gauntlet of young players underachieving by having the wrong advice at the wrong time in their careers mm. and i can think of several examples some of which are are sort of current of players who in my view are taking the wrong advice and as such their careers and their uh, are being and will be affected in 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 the short and medium term um with 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 reference to parents look you know academies need to do a lot more um in order to ensure that we have got the right the the right construction of our relationship with with parents, we we work alongside a um, a, a London-based group called KaiZen, who um, do a lot of work with young people and and, and adults in in the education uh, broad education and uh, they work across disadvantaged groups. They work across in schools. They work in uh, um, local communities. They work with youth workers. Uh, um, yeah, you know, lots of different settings i think they work in the justice system you know and what they help us with is trying to at one level support parents and they do that independently of us they they're retained by us but but we don't attend their club and it's inner workings um and we also use them to help to train our staff, to educate our staff about the, the, the feelings that parents may be experiencing and, and the journey for the parent as well as that for the player. So listen, there's there's more we can do in this space, but we, we do try to forward in the relationships between ourselves and parents. But what, what can happen in some situations is that is that parents... thing for their sons because we're dealing with boys here their, their, their son's football development and I don't just mean that in terms of the training and the games I mean that in, in, in its entirety and parents are critical to the process unbelievably critical to the process but, but you know with the best school in the world they don't have the knowledge, experience and qualifications that the team of staff at Fulham has and the team of staff at all academies have and whilst I'm not saying we've got every decision right, because we certainly haven't, um, I do believe that we are the people who, if you work with us, you will give the maximum opportunity for your son to benefit from the program and reach their potential.
5: Definitely. And I'll tell you, I totally agree with that. And obviously, it's rec- almost recognizing and appreciating you know, you, in the academy, you guys are the ones that are trained to do this job, essentially. So I think that's very important for parents I just want to, you know, as we start to wind down now, you know, take you back to, I guess, 35 years ago, you said it was, or maybe even longer than that now. If you had an opportunity now, knowing what you know now, to go back and speak to this Hugh Jennings that started off coaching, maybe as a PE teacher and whatnot, what would be one key message that you'd want to give him? Well, or more, more specifically, Hugh Jennings stepping into, I guess, the uh, the, the, the elite football world, pro the pro world, shall we say?
2: You uh, might have been a
5: message of both <laughs> yeah
2: so from a for, from a coaching perspective i i i regret my uh overly command style um and you know that the, for for a decade or so and listen it wasn't just me it was everybody alongside me really uh, so just
5: on that one then yeah would you not say that was to some extent down to a lack of Understanding not just from yourself potentially, but from from not a, a national governing body in that respect. Yeah, it was,
2: but I, I should have had enough independence to to change and to be different. And uh, you know, I think if you look at those people who have been most successful, they are they are because they're willing to be their own person, both you know professionally and uh, uh, from, from a, as, as as a professional and, and as a person um and you know I, I, that 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 would be something on my reflecting back on on my coaching journey um i th- i think i'm look I, i've been blessed uh, even if it all ends tomorrow i uh, i've been blessed with a, 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 an experience that you can't buy that you to be honest probably can't trade for um that you certainly you can't um you you you, you certainly can't aspire to because it's, it's been so multifaceted and varied and so many experiences have come along almost by coincidence that uh, you know I, I do feel a, a, a absolutely best from that perspective um, but i I also think you've you've you you you've got to be you, you you've got to not take yourself and take um, your role too seriously uh, I think there have been times when and I, I've been fortunate in this regard Guard mainly that, but there have been times I reflect back when I made poor decisions based on the fact that I I I, I was pro- I was stressed. I had not taken enough um, you know relaxation, if you like. Whether that's um, a, sort of within the professional sphere, but al- also um, from a family perspective, you know I I, I think all of us working. In in football, should reflect on the fact that we don't dedicate enough time to our, our our families, and I think this period at the moment has reinforced that. That you know we've had an opportunity to reflect in the three months during the pandemic to realise what probably we've been missing, mm. um, and I don't just mean doing the washing up and uh, uh, and um, and uh, the ironing. Um, you know, I, I actually, I actually think that we we have to get a structure in our industry where we value an investment in the the coaches, uh, the coaches' family time. You know, many coaches in the academy environment work across seven days, or they, you know, there's a, a huge amount of antisocial working. So if you're a young family person, you've got young children, perhaps you your weekends are more often than not taken up with um, with with that now, I I reflect back on my time, and for me that was a that you know I, I had a thirst for working at the weekend. So I would teach Monday to Friday, I'd coach in the evenings, and I would have a thirst for for going out and and coaching at weekends. You know, I I drove I drove from Oxford to Nottingham on a Saturday. I drove a minibus on a Saturday. I did the same with a, a school's district team. I did the same with the Oxford United Centre of Excellence team on, on a Sunday. You know, and then back in school on a Monday morning. And as I reflect back on that, I realised, you know what? I don't actually think that was right for the players. And it clearly wasn't right for me. And things have moved on massively since, since that time. But we, we do need to reflect on what is, what is, what is right for, for, for the leaders, if you like, of, of, the, of the academy movement. Need to reflect on what is right for those who are working with us.
5: Brilliant. Just you know, just again now you spent five years at Southampton, I think it was uh, a couple of years with Premier League, another three or four years at Nike, and now twelve years coming up in this December with Fulham. What's next with you, Jennings?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was eight years at Southampton, and and the eight years at Southampton actually, you know that that it seemed like it seemed like a, a, a an eternity even though it was all incredibly enjoyable but it actually was a relatively short period you know um in in the sort of 35 years as you mentioned i've been involved in in youth development um what's next for hugh jennings so i i even though i spent a lot of time looking back in this podcast i i, I like looking forward i i you know i don't have memorabilia in the house and don't you know don't watch old videos of of the past i i and I think it keeps you fresh. I like looking forward um, i I am contemplating when is the right time to step away from a from a from a from a club role because there will there is a shelf life i'm sure i've I've done that once with with the Premier League, and I'm thinking about what what might be you know what might be the right timing for that I don't want we're we gonna get an exclusive here uh no, you're not um, <laughs> <laughs> so. But you know, I think I, I I have reflected and and thought about what's you know what 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 should be the, the for the first time in my career what should be the the next step and and what it leads to.
1: Um, I really enjoy the collaboration.
2: And working with other sports, by the way,
5: uh, um, I've done a
2: a little bit working. You had on, you had on your brief the quick fire round. So does that mean I've I've escaped that? I think have, so. I, I've 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 you to death. So I've escaped the quick <laughs> fire round. Thank <laughs> goodness for that. I I'd think we still
5: going with the quick fire
2: <laughs> <quick> round. <three> <laughs> I'd, I'd have been out. hopeless of that yeah the golden nugget i saw this on 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 the brief uh well you know it'll be summed up as saying don't make the mistakes i've done um <laughs> but i i i i think look you know be f- fundamentally you you must be true to yourself be be yourself don't be someone that you think you should be don't be someone that if you like the the manual so to speak um says says you should be be yourself because the best form of yourself is hopefully um, what will enable you to, to be successful. Um, and, and, and I suppose I, I'd ally one, one thing to that, and it's something that I think has slightly gone out of, of, uh, of the game in general. It's certainly gone out of the youth game. Um, Gianluca Viali, who is, uh, appears to be recovering from pancreatic cancer uh, yeah. at the moment, you know, he wrote a brilliant book. Um, So brilliant, I can't remember the name of it But it basically compared uh, football in Italy And football in England at the time And he said the fundamental difference Around about the turn of the century The fundamental difference was that in, In Italy, football was a job In England, it was a pastime Now, what we mustn't ever lose sight of Is the enjoyment that we should be getting From being involved in the game And I don't see enough people smile I don't see enough people laugh I don't see enough people joke and I, I, I worry that we take ourselves too seriously. That's individually and collectively. And we don't, we don't acknowledge the fact that it is a huge privilege to be working in, in football at whatever level. Because it's a game, it's a pastime, it's, uh, it's, it's something that is, is in its broadest sense entertainment. And we should never lose sight of that. So I urge you all to go out there and, and uh, get the best the best book of jokes. Fantastic. You can.
5: Do you know what? Just because of that great answer, we're going to finish with that quick fire around you. Oh, Our no. Three quick questions. <laughs> no. For you. Right? Only three. Uh, Thank you. Biggest uh, Academy graduate for you uh, that you've been, well, most, the proudest Academy graduate that you've had?
2: Oh, biggest or proudest? There's a slight, there's a slight difference. Uh, right, so we can
5: go for both. We've got for extra uh, question. I go now.
2: for both. Well, listen, Gareth Bell is the is is the biggest graduate.
5: Yeah.
2: Uh, it's a real toss up. Probably. Well, I've 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 got three, and that's that that's that, that that's going to kill it. So Theo Walcott is very is very proud because he's he's an exceptional young person. Um, I'm really proud of Simon Gillett because Simon Gillett came from nowhere. Um, to be a successful player, and you know, ended up playing 250 games professionally. Not many on this call would have heard of him, but but he, he really came out the other end after a difficult start and did well. And and look, you know, Ryan Sesniyon is is, is a, a fantastic young man who you know I really hope will 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 manage to take his uh, his career to the to the best level possible. Um, so those would be the three, I think.
5: Yeah, best manager you've worked with.
2: Whoa, best manager I've worked with, that load,
5: um, Yeah, okay.
2: So I'm probably... Ooh, um, there's a few I'd name that would... Um, so I'm not going to name them. Uh, I think I will probably go with Gordon Strachan. Um, look, we didn't have the best available talent at the time when Gordon came to Southampton, but I think by the end of his time with us, he got us and we got him. And I think that his core underpinning principles for the development of players were excellent. Brilliant.
5: And your proudest achievement in your your career so far? Uh,
2: Staying in a job? Um, So, golly, proudest achievement. Um, I I take a huge amount of pride in helping to develop uh, good people. Uh, and look, it's an easy and trite thing to say, but I, I can think of a number of players not playing the game professionally who are successful people as well as they've benefited from 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 their experience and and the journey they've been on. Uh, and I'm starting to include stuff in that as well because you know they they're,
1: they're
2: they get younger by the day. Um, you know, I, I I think we should never. But Never, ever underestimate the, the young, young people, young staff, young players to have um, healthy and, and successful careers.
5: Fantastic. But A very special thanks to our guest today, Hugh Jennings, Academy Director at Fulham. Thank you for being here, uh, Hugh. It's been a very engaging, and entertaining conversation for us and I'm sure it will be for our listeners and viewers too. And hopefully for yourself, it was an in- interesting one too. Thanks very much, um, guys. And on that note, guys, you're welcome. And just on that note, if there is any way at all that the listeners could get in touch with yourself, you if there if any social media handles yourself or...
2: yeah, I noticed that from the brief. Yeah, you know, even an old crusty like me uh, has got social media. I, I do use LinkedIn, um, so you can you can try me there. Um, but look, if you want if you want to email me, good old-fashioned email at Fulham. I, I will do my level best to respond. Um I do take a uh, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm as conscientious I, I hope as I can be to try to uh, re- respond to messages so if, if 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 people would like to make contact, uh, it's hjennings at fulhamfc.com
4: Well there you have it guys, another edition of the Cultures Network Insight Series, where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential i've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have but i just want to say thanks again for tuning in the support is much appreciated please do get in touch with us and today's guests let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts views and key takeaways from today's show along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed ultimately guys the show is about yourselves the content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content on that note Get in touch with us on Instagram at the Coaches Network and on Twitter at the Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye out on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care.
3: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together.